0: Namaste and welcome. This is Jainil Dalal and you are listening to The Design MBA. This podcast is a real-life MBA program for designers where we interview design hustlers and learn the skills, mindset necessary for a designer to launch a business venture. You can learn more. Find past episodes and stay updated at designmba.show. Why are you listening to this podcast? Think about it. Deep down, you want to grow in your design career. And I've been in your shoes. I've pushed pixels for years without really knowing how the hell do I grow in my design career. So I've created a free email course for you to help you level up your design career. The strategies I share in this 7-day email course are actionable and used by over 700 plus designers with success. So head over to levelup.designmba.show Or you can find the link to this email course in the show notes. Level up your design career today. Today's amazing guest is Ekaterina Solomina. She's a creative director, educator, TEDx speaker, and founder of Future London Academy. For the past 15 years, she has worked with some of the greatest creative minds alive and companies like Coca-Cola, Sony, Mars, I love the chocolate, IBM, Microsoft, Samsung, helping to grow brands, developing design teams, and creating innovative products. She co-wrote a book about British design and has built a Bauhaus 2.0 program at the Future London Academy, rethinking what education of the future should look like. Now, if you're a designer already working in the field, at times you hit this thing that we call the wall, where you feel like you just can't figure out how to get to the next level, like something's stopping you and you can't just figure out what it is. And but you still want to grow in your career, do yourself a favor and go to futurelondonacademy.co.uk and sign up for one of the amazing courses they have there. There's tons of courses on branding, design, for managers. Check it out and tell them Janiel sent you. Egatarina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Super excited to be chatting with you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure and such a great name for the podcast. I was really excited (laughs) being on the show today.
0: You're in London right now, I'm assuming, correct? Yes, I am. So I had to ask you, I'm a huge soccer fan. I am, unfortunately, an Arsenal fan and we finally won something. So do you follow soccer?
1: We call it football, as you know. And yes! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, not, I'm not really a huge fan. I support Manchester United just because my friend supports Manchester United. But I'm not really like a core fan. No. Can't discuss <laughs> any football news, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> I'm dying to ask you, have you been to one of the stadiums? I'm assuming it's nearby.
1: Not really, no. I mean, there are (laughs) many, but really not my thing.
0: Completely understand. I haven't been to London yet, and it's my dream, someday, when I come there.
1: Definitely come, say hi. London is an incredible city for anyone who does anything creative. And that's the reason why I moved here 12 years ago as well, because seriously, inspiration is everywhere, on the streets, in the air, in the buildings. So. Definitely the best place to be if you're doing any sort of creative job.
0: And where did you move from?
1: I was born in Russia. I was born in a very cold city called Yekaterinburg. Then I moved to Moscow and then I moved to the UK. And
0: were you always involved with design from a young age?
1: Oof, I had a very strange, I suppose, story because I studied physics and maths and uh, I was supposed to be a programmer. And I, after finishing a physics and maths school, I went to uni to study CC plus I was quite good at it. I suppose I'm good with maths in general, but I wasn't really enjoying it. I kind of caught myself getting good grades, but not having the passion for it. So when I was finding a bug in a code for the whole night, and I remember it was our final project, and I really wanted to make it like amazing, and I just literally couldn't find a bug. And it was really frustrating. I already this was before Facebooks and before mm-hmm. proper social media so I was just sending ICQ links to my friends to help me across the world to fix me this thing that we were building and in the morning we found the bug and actually fixed it and everything was good and I just sat there and thought this is not what I want to do with my life this is just not how I see myself yeah doing things so at that point I was already doing some freelance on the side and I suppose web design was just starting back then and kind of I did the whole CD and multimedia kind of projects. At that point, CDs was a thing and you would be yes, like... Really I remember something. that. Yeah. So I always knew I wanted to do something creative, but I have that you need to study design to do design. So I never felt like I was a proper designer if I didn't have any oh. sort of degree or course and I also couldn't draw so essentially what I did after I finished that project during summer, I went to the art school for the foundation kind of summer school or something like that. So to. And
0: yeah, this to, is still then, in Russia.
1: Yeah. So that's was still in uh, Russia. Okay. I was doing like academic drawing, like all the really tough stuff. And I kind of got better at just normal, I suppose, traditional painting and nowhere yeah. near good, nowhere near good, but better than zero, which was huge achievement and that kind of gave me confidence that actually I can potentially have that as a career and eventually I changed my school so I went to a different university to study design so that's where essentially I discovered that it can be a profession and I got my first job while I was still at uni I was doing two degrees at the same time and I had two full-time jobs to support those degrees that's insane Yeah, that was quite fun and definitely I enjoyed every single day of it. There wasn't, it was hard. I think the longest I went without sleep was five days, like zero sleep, maybe 30 second naps here and then, but uh, literally no, no lying down and it was still fun. I think I was young. I just wanted to do it. I was so passionate about design and that's how I knew that's the right thing. Because never, ever for a second, I felt like I'm exhausted. I just wanted, sometimes I was just tired physically, but I would still want to do design. I would still have ideas. I would still draw. I would still do things. Like I could do it all night and day long. And that's what I thought, well, it's clearly what I like doing. So why would I do something else? Eventually, I after I graduated and kind of, because I already had some experience, I worked in a couple of different companies. And at that point in Russia, design wasn't a thing yet. So no one Mm -hmm. actually knew what branding is or graphic design. Design was one thing, and that involved advertising, that involved branding, web design. Everything was just design. So I actually was very lucky because I worked in very, very different places. I worked as an art director and advertising agency called LOWER, kind of big international agency doing TV commercials. I worked mm-hmm. in a digital design studio doing websites. And I think that was just just the beginning of apps era. And then I also worked in, in branding and creating identities. And again, no one ever questioned that these are kind of three very separate areas. So when eventually I moved to London, I actually had- Why did you move to London? Ooh. It's an amazing city. I always wanted to live in London. <laughs> okay. As, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, like you just have that thought, even though you've never been there, you know kind of what the city will be like. Yeah. And uh, I, when I was, I think, seven years old or something, when I was very young, I'm a big fan of Winnie the Pooh. So I was really, okay. really cool and obviously he was English and he lived in the forest and all of these things just sounded magical to me. So I always knew England is my place. So when I was actually graduating from school and my parents asked me where I want to study, I said, I want to go to Oxford. And they're like, oh, you can't really go to Oxford. You actually <laughs> have your local uni and that's your own option. So we were more asking, like, do you want to do physics? Do you want to do math? Do you like these are your options. It's not really about options. So only later I learned that actually you need a lot of money and uh, a lot of connections to actually get into good schools, uh, which eventually I managed to get. And again, I suppose we all can get what we want. Some people get it early in their life. Some people get it later in their life. But if we all work hard and towards our goals, we can get there. It's just if we were starting from a bit of a further start then it will take some of us a bit longer to get there but it's all possible yeah
0: and i'm jealous of you for the record because i suck at maths and physics like the differential equations and stuff oh my lord that will give me all the nightmares so you're coming to now uk and you did you end up going to oxford or going to a university here for design <laughs>
1: no i wish well because
0: that's a lot so of we, degrees then
1: yeah i think i went to university of Hertfordshire, which Definitely not the best university, I have to say, for design. But it was a step up from being in wherever I was back then. And for me, the goal was to move to the UK. So actually, it worked out at the end. And it gave me space to experiment and find a job. So I managed to do the exchange program. So only came for the last year. So I graduated here. And that essentially was my kind of a third degree so at that point i found a job and started working and essentially i had to start from the very beginning even though in russia at that time i already it felt like i had a career now that i look at it maybe it wasn't that long of a career but when you're young everything feels like you already achieved everything you could and you're so amazing so it was very hard psychologically to start from the very beginning again and having like a some sort of job, not necessarily the one that you enjoy, but at least I was doing design. at least they provided me a work visa so I could stay in the country. So again, I started bit by bit, bit by bit, building my career back, and it took twelve years. <laughs> and here I am. yeah,
0: wow. I struggled just to manage to get one degree, and my parents are very thankful for it, and then I'm, I'm hearing you got like three degrees so. <laughs> You built your career up after 12 years as a design director. Things are going well. Life's good. And suddenly you're like, I'm going to drop all of this and start a school. Like what was going through your head? Yeah, it wasn't
1: really a sudden moment. I feel like every time anyone tells a story, it all feels so logical. But in the middle of it, it never feels very, very logical or makes any sense. So I, at that point, I... Finally, I got to better jobs and I actually was working with Michael Wolf, the founder of Wolf Orleans, incredible person, human being and my big hero. He's now, I think, 87 years old and, and is just an amazing brand legend. So for me, working with him gave me a lot of perspective for what design is and what branding is, what industry is. I also worked uh, in a couple of really great companies and Again, I learned from a lot of people there and lots of agencies that we collaborated with. So suddenly after all these kind of years of not being in the industry, I suddenly was in the middle of it. And I had lots of connections. I met lots of people. I worked with some of the most incredible minds and kind of was in that community of designers in London. And I realized that there are other people like me who potentially would want to have that access, Mm -hmm. who were essentially me many years ago, not having a single connection or not having access to all these incredible, talented people and their wisdom and their thoughts. So originally, we just wanted to build a place where you could get inspired from the actual people who are doing things. Mm-hmm. So that's how we started seven years ago. And it was a side project. I still had a full-time job as a creative director. And it was just a thing that we wanted to do with my former colleague. And we started running these one-week programs that people will come to London from all around the world, and they will learn from all these agencies here. And we would go to the offices. We would have teas and coffees with them. We would wow. hear from their teams how they... Work with clients, how they approach projects. It was so much fun. It was incredible, and everyone enjoyed it. And that's why we kept doing it, just because it was fun for us and for me. I was learning so much from all these agencies because I worked. I had one job, but it felt yeah. like I had. I worked in hundred different companies because I could learn from hundred different companies. And there was Spotify's, there was Pentagram, there was like all these agencies and companies that I admire and i could just learn from them so that felt also very magical and you didn't need to quit your job to learn from them as well which is again a very uh, interesting concept so eventually it started growing and growing and it got to the point where it couldn't be a side project anymore and at that point i quit my job and started doing it full time we grew a team And from there, I think it took over because we started having clients who would come to us and say, this is amazing what you guys are doing. It's a completely different way of learning. It's very immersive. You learn directly from the industry. Can you do something like that for our team? We have, I don't know, 15 people and they want to learn that way. They don't want to go to a boring course or something like that. Yeah. So that's how we started growing with more clients. And now we work with some of the most, again, amazing companies, we work with Mars globally. We work with TikTok, we we had Ministry of Thailand who would send oh all God. their ministers to learn this way at Future London Academy. So it's amazing where this kind of original side project took us. So eventually we landed to this new executive program for design leaders that i'm sure we'll talk about today which is essentially a new stage in everything that we're doing and came from my personal frustration how difficult it is to be a creative director or at any senior position in the creative industry without understanding the business side and all the other things that you you want to learn
0: so future london academy at the grassroots level is basically to level up designers who're stepping into leadership positions who may not have had exposure to get mbas or talk to business and once you launched this program in the early years did you ever think about raising venture capital or some kind of funding or why did you decide to keep it bootstrapped
1: it never even occurred to me i have to say i think growing up in russia we didn't have credit cards it just they didn't exist the concept of borrowing Ah. money did never existed so whenever and actually, I had one business before starting FutureLine Academy. So I tried to create a design agency, which was a completely different story, and it was a fun experience, and definitely learned a lot from that. But even then, it was always saving up money and using your own money. And wow. uh, with FutureLine Academy, I was lucky to have quite a good salary at full time job. So I saved enough money before quitting my full time job to make sure that next couple of years can be successful, and I didn't need to stress about like making money immediately or making a lot of money money immediately we were already profitable at that point so that wasn't an issue i think with any service-based models i have to say bootstrapping is always the best because you always generate money that you can put back into business it's Mm -hmm. a different story when you need to build software upfront that again requires a lot of labor and you can't have an mvp before you actually build something so you you need to pay salaries you need to pay top people we were much luckier because our model is is very different
0: so now you're trying to get all these, you've got like 200 plus speakers now from some of the top companies in the world. I mean, but starting out, you're trying out this new model. How did you convince all these speakers or all these teachers to come on board and teach at Future London Academy? Were they getting some kind of equity model? Do they get paid? Or was it just like, this is the vision and we want you to come invest in it?
1: Sure. So when we originally started with this one-week programs, as I said, it was a fun side project. So at that point, I was just asking, essentially, my friends in the industry because, as I said, I built a good network back then, and uh, I was just asking people that I knew, that I interacted with, or worked with, or their friends, or whoever they could recommend to be involved because I knew the value they can bring. And I was surrounded by people who were up for it. And some of them had fees, some of them wanted to hire talent, some of them, again, they had different reasons for doing it. Some would just really wanted to meet this people from around the world and just see what they're like and ask them questions. So there were different reasons. And I'm obviously super grateful for these first agencies and first people who believed in us when we didn't have a company, we didn't have anything to prove that this will be an enjoyable experience for either side. And somehow they agreed to host people in their own agencies to give people teas and biscuits and spend their time and be generous with their thoughts um, and very open. And I think I suppose that's another thing that was very unique from the beginning and with all the programs that we do. Everyone is very honest because we always run experiences for very, very small groups, which means that it's not a conference where you're in a stage in front of 2000 people and you try to be your best self and like only show the, yeah. the shiny case studies and how your life is amazing. Suddenly you're with the peers who have similar years of experience as you and challenges they have are very, very similar to challenges that you have in your business. So there is no reason to, to lie or to hide. And actually people get suspicious if you only share your successes. So, ah all our experts and speakers and mentors started sharing their failures their challenges how they work with clients how they something didn't work out very well and how they got out of it and that one made it very real and very honest and sometimes we have to sign NDAs and all the things that essentially they share we can't share externally oh, and that's fine okay. because that learning happens in everyone's head and you you go away with learning, you don't go away with a piece of information you're going to use somewhere. It's <laughs> what you learn from that and how you will apply that in your own business. But I think the new program, which is a year program, is even a level up from that and kind of how we learned from all these years of experience of what does it mean to learn from someone and how we can build a holistic program from that. That was a fun journey as well.
0: So let's just talk a little bit about the different offerings. So you might have to correct me if I get this wrong. You have the corporate training, which is if companies want you to come on site and custom tailor a program for them, you've got that. Then you've got the short courses, which might be about branding or design, just like a short one-week or two-week courses for people to come in. And then you've got the new one that you're launching, which is the Bauhaus 2.0, right? So can you just like briefly talk about all three of them?
1: Sure. So yeah, as you said, the first one, I'll start with the short courses because that's what we started our business with, these one-week programs. They used to be face-to-face in London. Now we also do them online. And it's a, a really great experience for anyone who has 10, 15 years of experience in the industry and wants to learn something new. So you're already very good at what you do, but you want to level up. You want to get inspired by other people, what they're doing. In much more depth than any conference can do but in much more fun way than any course will ever do so it's yeah. somewhere kind of in between that inspiration and knowledge where you actually enjoy it but also learn something new for your work frameworks processes all the other things that will be useful and those we have on branding on ux on innovation so kind of all the topics that modern design-led companies need to have
0: and so one that- quick question mm-hmm. there uh, is If I'm coming there for that one week program and, you know, I'm trying to level up, so I might have a different pain point or weak point that I'm trying to improve on, right? Maybe my thing is that I'm not good at maybe managing people, for example, somebody else might be something different. So how do you in that course identify that out of these 10 or 12 students, each one has a different need that they want to work on? How does that happen?
1: Good question. And because of that, it's not really a a kind of a traditional course where it's a very strict curriculum and okay. kind of you learn only one thing. So the oh. whole week is essentially every day you have several masterclasses from agencies and teams. And each of these weeks is curated with someone from the industry. So we always collaborate with someone. Let's say we're creating a new UX and product design week and we collaborate with head of UX or head of product design from some great company And he or she tells us, okay, right now I want to learn what does it mean to change your entire design system or how can I build a better design system or how can I build research ops or whatever that is and what are the topics that currently they are struggling with, they want to learn about. And based on that, we select experts who will cover it, companies who are doing it well, and we create the whole program based on that. But you're right, everyone comes with a very different pain point with different experience, no two people will ever be the same with kind of same questions. And that's why we always have enough time for Q and A's and all of these discussions are very thought provoking and you can always bring your own challenge saying, well, I use this process, but this is where it doesn't work. I tried doing it with my team. But this way it breaks. And then the person that our experts and mentors always say, okay, this is what we did. This is who we hired. This is how we change it around to make it work. So it becomes very personal rather than kind of a very traditional conference setup where you kind of have a 30 seconds to ask your question and get some very yeah. generic answer. That... And
0: that's in front of everybody. So it's like...
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's essentially how we built it. So we have a core structure that... We build from our personal expertise and with collaborating mm-hmm. with experts, what's needed for this state of the industry. And then on top of that, we have enough time for Q&As and discussions to make sure that everyone gets out what they came here for.
0: And do usually the goal is to get the companies to pay for the employees or employees pay themselves or it doesn't matter?
1: It's a mix of both. Some people pay for themselves. Okay. Some people are paid for company, uh, by, by their companies. It's-
0: okay. And then the second one is obviously where you just go on site to a company and just custom tailor the the course to their needs.
1: Correct, yeah. And we deliver programs around the world. So anywhere from Brazil to China to Russia to Germany, it's really fun. And we always collaborate with local experts there. And again, the same principle, we never get any professors, coaches. And there would never be a person who just a theoretical, someone who can talk about things it's always about practitioners who are doing these things that can teach how they do them uh, sometimes people come to London so sometimes actually it's a good kind of offsite thing of companies bringing their teams to London and then again it's it becomes quite similar format to our one-week programs but could be one day two days it can be customized
0: now if let's say a company in India wants you to just come there and do that executive training so how would that go about, because I mean, if somebody comes to London, obviously you've got all the agencies, you know, and you can get their people to come there. But if, if you're going to India, you can't just take all those agency people with you to India. So in that case, would it be your team members that uh, that teach the course? But you also mentioned that you try to get the local experts there. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Like, how would you go about doing that? Sure.
1: So uh, we actually fly people in again before the, the world became very different, but we would fly anywhere. And we would fly experts from London, from US, from wherever we think are the best experts on that particular topic, we'll fly them to the location. So that's one model when specifically people are interested in something very precise from the companies here, or okay. we get local experts. So if, uh, for example, we're teaching innovation course for one of the clients, and that's across the world, and it's a, a two-day workshop uh, that is led by innovation experts. So the curriculum has been created by the industry, together with the industry, and now is scaled across over 20 locations of that company. Mm -hmm. And so even though the curriculum is the same, it's always delivered by a local expert who can share stories on top of it, who can share their personal experience and struggles. And whenever someone asks a question beyond the content of this two-day program of like, but what if this happens? But what, what if we don't have yeah. time to do this? They always have an answer from their personal experience that is also much more valuable for the local culture, for the local environment, because they know yeah. where this person is coming from.
0: Wow. So in a way, it's like you always got this a freelance model in a way of all these experts around the world. They can just treat this as like an, a way to share their experience. And also is in a way like a gig where they can go in and fly with you and teach the program there. And then you're able to deliver that experience. That's just amazing.
1: I don't think we invented anything new there. I think companies like McKinsey and all of like the whole model of having associates. I think that's essentially what it is. You have associates around the world who are experts in their fields and you just collaborate with them when, when you need to. And all the other time they they're crafting their, their expertise, they're working on their own projects and that's how they always stay up to date.
0: Wow. And then the final one would be the big upcoming one, the Bauhaus 2.0.
1: Yeah, this is something that I just can't wait to start. It's something we've been working for the past couple of years on, and it came from my personal story as well as stories from everyone that came to our previous programs. Essentially, when you have at least 15 years of experience, you usually get to a certain position or a title, job title, whether it's creative director, chief creative officer. Essentially, you are now not just doing design, but you're also in charge of people, in charge of making strategic decisions, business decisions, or you might be running your own company as well. And again, now you need to understand operations and finance and everything else. And you suddenly realize that you have that gap in your knowledge because you've been learning everything about design all these years. And yes, you pick up things about management and leadership as you go, but you never had a proper structured approach about it. And I personally found it very difficult to understand all financial terms, to talk to the finance team in the way that they will understand, as well as make the right decisions on behalf of the company, because you need to not just think about the the design side of things but operations and business strategy and everything else in a bigger context of the company so i wanted to essentially i was i wanted to go to study somewhere and wow. there was no really uh, an mba and that's why i love the name of of your podcast which is design and <laughs> because that's essentially what i was looking for a place where i could learn all these business skills but i didn't want to learn from old school teachers who haven't been in the industry for 20 years. And also I didn't, I'm not planning to build a traditional business either. So I want to learn how to run creative businesses. I want to understand how to run tech and innovative businesses and same as everyone who I spoke to. So essentially we thought, well, maybe we should create that place ourselves. And that's how the executive program for design leaders came about. And we created a curriculum that essentially is a replacement for a traditional executive MBA. And we have modules on finance and operations and kind of all the heavy stuff, legal and sales. But it's oh taught, my God. first of all, by practitioners. So we have uh-huh. the legal team of vice talking about legal. We've got uh, people from Spotify talking about accessibility. We get finance people from TransferWise talking about financial control and finance. So all these topics, you you learn actually from people who are doing it in modern, innovative, design-led companies. So that's what essentially that is. And um, it has been a fun journey creating it. And obviously, it has a lot of leadership topics and management topics. We collaborated with a lot of psychologists to create the whole human module Essentially, how can we understand ourselves better? What motivates us? How we focus? How we lead? What does it mean to be a leader? And who are we as a leader? Because we never actually have time to proper explore it throughout our careers. So yeah, it has been a fun journey. And now this program launches in October and it only accepts 20 people. So we've got over 5,600 applications for it. Um, That's
0: insane.
1: Yeah, it kind of proved that... It is something that is needed in the industry and people did value our approach of learning directly from people who are doing it and having a curriculum that is relevant for the modern time.
0: There's just so many questions I'm trying to ask you because like, my head is like, this is just insane what you've created. And I'm just trying to like, understand like all these like things you probably know, but like one of the things was if you're getting somebody from Spotify to talk about accessibility or, or something specific, right? Is there ever a concern that maybe Spotify would not be okay with their head of design talking about this or they have to get some kind of like written approval? Like you can talk about this, but not about this, even if it's in person, not recorded.
1: Absolutely. So with every company, and that's why Otium expanded, because there are lots more contracts, a lot more legal work that we have to do now. Part of it is just every company has their own policy of how they collaborate and they yeah. just tell us what they're comfortable with and we are happy to work with them. Again, for us, as I mentioned before, we can sign any NDAs, that's absolutely fine. As long as people live with knowledge, they don't need to live with the yeah. particular details as long as they live with learnings from it, how they can do something and how they can apply all of this to their work and life. So yeah, some people ask us to sign NDAs. Some actually really like to have this, discussions and get insights from these people from around the world because those people are also incredibly amazing i was doing interviews with probably every company you can imagine so people applied from netflix from google from facebook from small companies from startups from variety of organizations so the 20 people who will be on the program they are like the best of the best in the world so who wouldn't want to be in the room with them It's, (laughs) it's incredible
0: Yeah, and then you've got some amazing lineup of speakers. Like I saw Morgan Ping was there and I actually had a chance to interview her on the show as well. So do you personally wet all these people that you want? Is there like a list of people you want to come on in the program and teach or is it like referral or you kind of like talk with them and see if they're a good fit or not?
1: Yeah, so again, that kind of came with all the years of experience that we had running the programs. So we know quite a lot of people in the industry. So we knew who to go to, for specific things, as mm-hmm. well as we do our own research on topics that we're interested in. So essentially how we structured the program, each of these modules has a curator. So a curator, similar to our shorter programs, is someone who is a, an industry expert who's doing that right yeah. now. So for example, the finance module was curated by a CFO of Qubit. So wow. um, Jamie, an incredible person, really fun person to work with, he said, okay, if you want to learn something useful about finance these are the things that you need to learn in a tech company in a design-led company these are the things that are relevant so there are lots of things that you can learn about finance but not not all of them are relevant and also you're not planning to become a finance expert you're planning to become a company owner or design leader who understands the all the financial bit so essentially each curator decides on the topic and then they either recommend someone that they think would be amazing for each of these topics Or we do our own research in terms of like, okay, if we need to talk about, I don't know, logistics and operations and kind of that particular technology in logistics, then these are the types of companies that are really good at, and this kind of type of a a person who would be the best to talk about it. And luckily through these years, we built a really great brand that when we reach out to someone, people are really, really interested in collaborating with us. And uh, actually, we had a comment from... Someone that is was like, oh, my colleagues were so jealous that it. Like I was invited uh. to, to speak on the program because it's, it's an honor. And it's obviously good feedback for us that all this hard work that we put throughout these years actually now is paying off in, in good reputation and good relationships.
0: Is there like a Slack group or some kind of communication channel for all the ex alumni and all the speakers to get and keep in touch after the program?
1: Good question. So we're actually about to create a Slack group for alumni because what we used to do, uh, we actually had WhatsApp groups for each of the cohorts. So uh-huh. um, they would they would still talk, and we I'm in all of those yeah. WhatsApp groups, and it's amazing. <laughs> like they travel to each other's countries, they do projects together, they share photos from their offices. It's a lot of fun. They do stay in touch, and we're really really proud of the community we built, and kind of our mission is to connect creative communities around the world and give them knowledge and inspiration to make the world better so the community aspect was there from the beginning something that we always wanted to have and to do and uh, in every program we always bring people together and they stay in touch afterwards and especially for this year-long program uh, inspired by Bauhaus that's even more important for us to make sure these 20 leaders they rule the world (laughs) they do great (laughs) things together because they will be taught and mentored by the best, best, best in the industry. So obviously, they will have powers to do great things. But we, we are thinking now of kind of combining all these groups into Slack channel also for people kind of to stay, to cross-pollinate between each cohort yes. and stay in touch.
0: Wow. And you know, you're doing so many things. How big is your current Future Learning Academy team that's working with you?
1: We are very small. There are only 10 of us. And we wow. work with a lot of contractors and freelancers so kind of depending on the day and the project, obviously our team can be much bigger but this is kind of the core people that we work with
0: yeah you're doing the program you're there in all the programs i've seen photos and videos and then you're doing your own podcast too somebody's got to keep up with the instagram followers and all that so what does a day look like in your life like from the start like what does the schedule look like mad
1: <laughs> i am not a morning person so i don't wake up early and i always hope that it will change at some point in my life i don't think it will i'm most productive at night and i kind of made my peace with it that i should use my life (laughs) as it is rather than
0: try to (laughs) to make peace with it
1: (laughs) and actually i now structured my day so we when we were all kind of working normally our work day was 11 till 7 so That way the team could avoid traffic. So you kind of come in without being squeezed on a bus or on the train for 11 o'clock. Have you kind of, and some people are morning people so they would go to the gym and do all the things beforehand. And again, they come very fresh at 11. And seven is not too late to kind of finish the day as well. So, and again, we're very flexible, obviously, if someone wants to shift their hours a day or anything, that's absolutely fine. And now, obviously, it's even more flexible with everyone working from different places. So in that sense, I prefer to come in just a bit earlier. So I would usually come in for 10 or nine. So again, I can prepare for the day, like plan all the things that I need to do. And uh, I leave 10 minute walk from the office. So that's something, ah. the biggest, I think the best decision I've ever made in my life probably is moving close to the office. Cause I, I work late and I, it was just, wasting too much of my time on the trains and taxis and all these things. So when I moved close, it just became such a nice experience of coming to the office and going home. It just no stress. You come fresh. You still have your energy to do anything you want. So yeah, it's just, it's amazing. So I come in like nine, 10 and prep for the day. I always start my day with a coffee. I, I can't survive without coffee. And uh, we are based at WeWork, so we have incredible barista here, and uh, again, he makes good coffee. Yeah. so my day starts with that. I check emails, uh, so I try to check my emails not more than three times a day okay, so that's another thing that really helped me to keep my sanity and i'm if something obviously if it's it's a special day that we're waiting for something or something big is happening, I might be checking more, but in general, I keep my kind of emails in in these patches and uh, in the morning I'm usually either morning or evening I will be replying and during them I have another check-in just to see if something urgent came in and then it would be the day with the team Mondays we have team meetings so we will discuss our plans and then keep working I think every day can be different Fridays I usually keep for meetings so my Friday I'm Mm -hmm. usually out the whole day or on Zoom the whole day depending on the situation and uh, try to just Yeah, keep calls after calls. I have Wednesdays without meetings, which is again something that I fairly recently, I think it has been maybe half a year since we started that in the team. And I found out that we did not invent it. Apparently that's a thing in Silicon Valley. Everyone has Wednesdays (laughs) as a no meeting day. And actually it's massively helpful because um, this is the day when you can do deep work without any interruption. So even internal meetings, we don't have for Wednesdays, like literally no meetings are allowed. So whatever you need to do, whether it's a big one day thing that you need to dive into, you can do that. And it keeps you, it's also resets your mind quite well because you're constantly between the things. Other days, while Wednesday you can actually focus on one thing, which is great. And yeah, I usually finish, um, I try not to finish too late, but I would finish maybe around 8, 9 p.m. and I'll have a break uh, and then go home. And sometimes I would work from home afterwards, like from 12 till 2. Now I'm trying to sleep a bit more, so I might <laughs> finish at 12. But um, yeah, it depends on the day. And yeah, sports very important. I do also every day I do sports at lunchtime. I don't have lunch. I feel too sleepy after lunch, so I never have lunch. And I actually do sports instead.
0: What sports do you play?
1: Everything and anything. So I do white tie. I do really into rope skipping, which became a recent thing. I do all sorts of dances. I used to be a dancer when I was young. So I keep doing now all sorts of anything from street dance to like seriously cheerleading, all sorts of strange things. And then any sort of exercise, spinning, running. Yeah, anything.
0: I am a horrible dancer. And last year, I think I spent about a year just to. Get a little bit decent and I joined some hip hop classes and some salsa classes and just trying to like work on the beat and trying to like figure that out. It was That's so cool.
1: Did you like it?
0: It was fun. I think uh what I found out through that was salsa was not my scene. Just because I mean the way it kind of works is like as a guy, you have to know how to lead. And then if you're not good, then nobody wants to dance with you. But with hip-hop, it was this like individuality, like like individual contributor kind of type of role. computer design where you're not relying on somebody, you have to work with the team, but like you're doing you. And then it's like the classes where like a mix of Zumba. So I think I found that really enlightening and really just cool thing to just hang out around.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think everyone needs to find their own activity. And people who say that they're not like active people or not sports people, they just haven't found their thing. Seriously, yes. there are so many things you can do. And yeah, some people are, just prefer yoga and Pilates. Some people prefer dancing. Some people, we have like, proper circus classes in in my gym as well. So you can do trapeze as well, which Whoa. is mad. I tried a couple of times, got lots of bruises, but it's fun and it's something different. And I, I mean, seriously, there are so many things everyone can do that I would encourage everyone to just search for weirdest classes and exercises <laughs> they have in the area and just try everything.
0: No, absolutely. I agree with you. One of the things I remember in one of your courses was, um, and these are just some offhanded questions just, that's come into my mind. One was that you take part of the cohort to California and have them interact with the v c firms. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? and part of it is because I'm always curious about the v c scene. So I'm just kind of curious like how did you reach out to the v c s and build this out?
1: Sure, so you're talking about our this executive program for design leaders inspired by Bauhaus, and essentially each module of that program is built around certain topics and for those who haven't been on our website and don't understand what I'm talking about, so it's a year program, but it's split into five modules. Uh, each of them is two weeks. So essentially, you don't take the whole year off. You only travel for two weeks at a time. Okay. And then one of the modules in is, is in California. It's a one-week module, and uh, that one is particularly focused on startup and VC ecosystem. And that one obviously came... It was a part of the kind of how we thought about what skills creative directors and business owners and anyone who works in innovation design and technology needs, obviously, they need to understand the whole ecosystem and everyone or majority of us will either have to raise money, their companies might be acquired, they might sell their companies, or they might be in the companies that will merge or will be buying other companies. So we will face one sort of scenario most likely during our career, which is means acquiring being acquired or investing or being invested in so that's very important to understand what the relationship is like what the, the scene is like and what vcs are looking at what big corporations are looking at when they are acquiring companies or investing in companies as well as what does does it look like for startups to be acquired yeah. and, uh, so we build a curriculum around a brief of acquiring a startup ah. Uh, So essentially during this week, the cohort will need to acquire or invest in a startup and they will have a brief uh, from one big company. I won't name it yet, but it's a big tech company that mainly focuses on uh, B2B software. So they acquire a lot, a lot of startups. So they will be giving a real brief of the company they or type of company they're interested in acquiring. And the the task will be during the week to meet lots of startups. And by that time, the cohort will already have the finance modules. So they yeah. they'll understand what to look at, as well as throughout the week they will be meeting VCs and meeting angel investors. So people who constantly invest in startups. Can I ask a few names?
0: Of- Can I ask a few names of which VC firms or angel investors, if you don't mind?
1: I will keep it a secret for now. Okay yeah uh we will be announcing it very soon so maybe by the time the podcast comes out we already have information on the website but let's put it that way there are very big well-known names involved there that uh, i personally can't wait to meet and learn from because and and how did
0: and i'm just if i had to like dig into detail like how did that interaction go like let's say i'm just gonna pick a name like let's say excel vc firm if you were to get them on board How did that conversation go? Did you already have a contact in the UK that connected you with them? And then you pitched the idea? Like, how did that whole thing, how did you make it happen?
1: So that's another great thing about all these seven years of our work, that we built an incredible global network. And that's why we talk about community so much, because we not just build the London community and kind of became part of the London community, but we also interacted with so many people throughout Mm -hmm. our life across the world, people from Googles and Facebooks and Amazons, like literally everyone in California is a big part of it. We had throughout our programs, we had lots of people coming from California. So we actually knew okay. quite a lot of people there and uh, we collaborated with one of them to build the program. And again, we'll follow more details. There will be official announcements coming soon. But they, uh, we partners essentially with, with the company and they're helping us to build the whole curriculum and they have. Also, lots of connections with VCs um, and help us with introductions. But in general, it's all about connections. Seriously, I think it is true about London and building your career here. It is true about building a business. It's true about actually doing anything in life. The more people you know, the easier and better whatever you do will be.
0: I could not agree more. One of my sponsors always told me early on, and Janil, it's all about who you know and... <laughs> The way he phrased that, it was a little bit crude, but it was so true. He just said, it's all about who you know and who you got to please. And if you understand that, like you can go miles and miles ahead. And I do want to change a little bit of gears by saying that you've encountered so many design leaders that have come to level up. So if I had to ask you, what are some of the weaknesses? I wouldn't say weaknesses, but what are some of the areas that design leaders after a certain point in their career get stuck and where they need leveling up on? And maybe you can give example.
1: Sure. I think the the overall themes are very similar. So a lot of creative people want to know more about finance and business side of things, because this is something we've been exposed the least to throughout our creative careers. And I can definitely relate to that during my creative career, that all I knew about finance that I need to submit invoices on time. And if I need a budget for the project, I'll send it for approval and either it will get approved or not. Yeah, that's all I knew. And uh, when you get to a higher level, you need to have much more strategic conversations and you're part of the budgeting teams. And this is where you like you either don't understand enough what's going on and you constantly feel like you don't wanna sound stupid. So sometimes you don't ask the questions. Sometimes even when you ask questions, the answers still don't give you the yeah. full picture of what what is this budgeting process and what all these different words mean. And uh, so one is like just understanding lots and lots of business things that now are more than ever important for creative leaders. There is this whole conversation about how design is now getting to the C-level, the idea of CDO, Chief Design officers, the yeah. idea of, again, McKinsey report, where design-led businesses outperform any other type of organizations by 200%. So it's like all of these things that now proven that design needs to be at a top level, but a lot of people are not equipped with everything they need to know when they are at that level. And some people, again, learn as they go. And I think that's Mm -hmm. always a good way, but sometimes it's more efficiently to just learn from the best as as fast as you can and uh, uh, make the right decision without (laughs) making all mistakes and learning from them. So that's kind of finance is one area, finance operations business side. Another thing is human side. And I think no matter, even if you meet an incredibly wise, successful leader, they will always still struggle with the same things we all struggle with. And mm-hmm. there could be mental things. There could be things about kind of their own brains and souls and everything. It could be about other people and how to build cultures, how to build teams that are performing, that are inspired, that are motivated. So there are lots of very humans, unfortunately, are not easy to to learn and easy to yes. understand. So... I don't know anyone who mastered that to <laughs> the highest levels. There are people, obviously, who are much, much better than others. And it's kind of a, like different grades. I definitely... That's the area that I'm the most focused on myself right now. I've got a coach as well who helps me a lot to understand different Oh, people. like your own coach? Yeah. And that's oh, wow. probably the best. Well, another another very good decision that I've made because... And she has a degree in psychology, so she talks more from like a psychological level of what people think and what people might feel and that helps me to to understand how to build better teams uh, which is great.
0: I've never had a coach I mean I have had a, a sponsor and a mentor but not like in a formal capacity as a coach so what would you say is the difference between like just getting a mentor and I guess working exclusively with a coach?
1: You need both yeah that's uh, and I also always had mentors and uh, they're incredibly helpful. I think having a mentor and having a good one, especially having a few one as well, because every mentor is always limited by their own experience. Yes. Um, so having a few people that you can just ask questions, it's, uh, it's better than, than anything. Coach is more precise and I don't think it's, it's always the right time to get a coach mentor. I think it's always like the right time to have a mentor at any stage yep. of your career. Coach is a bit more precise when you get stuck and you want answers about very certain things and you need to like someone to work through those things with you and for me it was understanding how we can create a better team and work better and not overwork because I'm definitely on the the hard working side and yeah making sure that we have great culture so essentially this is what we've been working with her and lots of things that It's just amazing stories and psychological concepts that she tells me and I I learn from that. And they are applicable as much in your work life as well as in your personal life. So it's just great learning experience and constantly improving yourself, just being a better person, more wise, more calm, more, I don't know, better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. What are some of your favorite books?
1: Oh, I have many. many. I read a lot actually i don't read i listen to books i don't never have an opportunity to actually sit down and read a book but i'm always walking around i'm like doing things so it's always like audiobooks. seriously is great invention because i can listen to them when i'm going for a run i can listen to them when i'm doing something else so a couple of books one that i keep recommending to everyone who especially wants to learn anything or they feel like they could be better at something uh, and this is Carol Dweck and the cool book called Mindset. It's my old book, but. It came definitely in the right time for me because uh, it talked about how there are two mindsets. There is fixed mindset and growth mindset, and a fixed mindset essentially mm-hmm. is when you feel like every trait of your character is fixed. So, for example, you're a creative person or you're not good with maths or you're always late. whatever you think, like that's your genetical thing or whatever or you were raised with it. So you have to live your life with mm-hmm. it. And the growth mindset, it talks about the opposite. actually, every trait of your character can be flexed, changed and, and grown and uh, you can get better at anything you want. Turns out people with growth mindset achieve more in their lives and have happier and better lives. Yeah. So it kind of made sense to have a growth mindset. That's essentially the premise of the book. And for me personally, it was that I was always a creative person. I was always associated with like, certain things that I was good at, but I, for example, not good at finance and I wasn't good at, I don't know, operations and other things that I just never had exposure to and i always felt that that means i'm not good at them and i will never be good at them and mm-hmm. after reading this book i realized that actually i can learn these things and i took a finance modeling course i took like lots of different different courses to learn different things and i slowly slowly started getting better and yeah i eventually got I, i'm still learning obviously but it was a big big change to suddenly understand the things that your entire life you thought. You just never be good at them. Suddenly you can learn. I think that was a massive thing. So anyone who hasn't read uh, the book, I would recommend it. It also, if anyone has kids, it's also talks about how to raise kids with a growth mindset. So definitely worth reading. Second book that I would recommend is Culture Map. I think, have you read that book?
0: It's on my list. Uh, funny enough, Morgan recommended me to read that.
1: <laughs> I think we discovered it similar time. And I think when she was doing talk at one of our uh, um, UX and digital design weeks, she, she mentioned that book. And at that point, I only started reading it. Uh, so I kind of prioritized that. And uh, yeah, definitely such a good book. Talks a lot about yeah how different cultures are. And uh, being Russian, living in the UK, working with international clients something that i can relate to and i answered a lot of questions for me so if anyone listening has a mixed background or moved countries and cultures definitely read the book because it will help you understand your own culture a lot and why you do certain things certain way and especially when you move countries sometimes people might see it as a as a bad thing like I don't know, yeah. Russians are very straightforward, for example, but that's a very stereotypical thing. The book actually talks about how Russians are not straightforward all the time, and actually Whoa. they're very contextual in lots of ways, same as Asian cultures, but in negative feedback, Russians are straightforward, but in positive oh. feedback, they won't be straightforward. So it's actually <laughs> um, it's very, very selective. So we only see one thing from like the stereotypes, but actually by reading the book, you understand how all the aspects work together. So worth reading. I don't know, any particular type of book? Is it, give me a hint. Do you want to hear about design, leadership, business? What would be the,
0: I would. I can say, recommend the third book. For the third book, I would say, what would you recommend for, in general, for a designer who's trying to level up?
1: Designer level up. I don't think
0: books are good for designers
1: to level up because I think design, mm-hmm. if you if you want to, le- what you want to level up is design, not mm-hmm. management, not your efficiency, not like, I think you should just do design and not read books. Uh, <laughs> you could obviously <laughs> read about like classical, I don't know, color theory, layout, anything inspiring. That- In terms of management, do.
0: like leveling up in terms of management, like-
1: Management, I think, oh, another book, um, I'm just looking through my list in, uh, in Audible okay. and thinking which one should I pick because literally there are so many good books. I think a couple of others that I would recommend. One is Culture Code, which is about how to build great cultures uh, mm-hmm. by Daniel Coyle. And essentially it's, she talks about how google's culture and all the other cultures are built in what's good what's bad and how to make sure again your team works well and feels valued and all of that it's very practical it's less of a kind of big thing of yay we need all purpose and all of this like it's much more granular what can you what rituals can you have as a team and what you can do as a person to make everyone more connected and more motivated and happier essentially so that's a good book and I suppose the last one I will recommend is Radical Candor yes. by Kim Scott. Yeah. So that's a good one. I think it's, again, on the psychology side of things and, again, talking about leadership and how we can all be better leaders by being radically candor. Definitely very close to me because, again, talking about Russian culture, I prefer to say things as they are. And, yeah. uh, I think being in the British culture for very long, which is the opposite, where you do everything <laughs> not to say things as they are, I'll beat around the bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that confused my brain a lot, and now I'm back to kind of trying to find the middle ground where you actually can be candid with people and uh, yeah, just uh, build more trust through 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 being honest and through being yourself.
0: Wow, now for the future roadmap. For Future London Academy, you talked about the Bajas program where it's going to be 20 students or 20 designers who are going to take part in that. What are your thoughts on scaling it? Or do you focus more on the quality rather than just worrying about how to scale the business?
1: Both, I suppose. I think one thing that is great about not taking any investment is that you don't have the urge to scale as fast as possible. Yeah. And you've probably seen a lot of um, data recently how... Obviously, that old model of getting a lot of investment and scaling as fast as you can actually is quite bad for for yes. lot of companies. And uh, now more and more businesses are getting to a more holistic model of growing slowly but better. And essentially, it's not about creating a lifestyle business. It's not about not growing, but it's more about being conscious about your growth and doing it well. So we're definitely on that side. Uh, we want to make sure that everything we do still has the same values, still has the same quality. It's very important for us to make sure that every life that we touch, to, every person we collaborate with benefits from it. And um, because of that, we are not interested in suddenly growing at all costs. And it yeah. proved um, that it worked very well for us during this weird year where we actually didn't need to fire anyone. We kind of kept the team and just we thought lots of things because again we didn't grow at all costs and we didn't have, I don't know, hundreds of people just waiting for this big big growth to happen. So in that sense, we're still sticking to that model of making sure that we're growing at the pace that makes sense for us. But we're definitely looking into ways to touch more lives and scale more because we proved that that's what is needed and everyone who been through our programs send us letters and emails they're very very sweet about how we changed their lives and lots of people started their own businesses lots of people grew in their careers collaborated with people they met there are so many great stories and that's what keeps us going So it's just understanding how can we give it to more people who potentially can't physically come to London, who are in different economical situations. So, again, we're definitely not affordable to everyone yet, and we Mm -hmm. totally acknowledge that. And unfortunately, right now, that's the right thing for us to do because we want to build a great quality, but we're also constantly thinking what can we do to make sure that we can give access to people who might not be able to afford everything that we do, but still give them something that will help them and will create better communities in every single country. So constantly thinking about that, and I suppose digital became a massive help in that journey. Yeah. So we launched our online programs now, which again are much more affordable and we're even looking at other models, how we can make them even more affordable for, for lots of different people. So it's a journey and we we want to make sure we're doing it the right way. But uh, we already saw during this past three months how creating um, new online programs expanded our geography. So I think we used to we had about 60 countries before that we uh, had people coming from. and I think we literally mm-hmm. not double, but we we definitely added 20 more just in the past three months. and wow. uh, great companies like uh, countries like, Bolivia, Ecuador, Egypt, and like lots of other countries who were never able to come to our programs before suddenly can, can do it online, which is amazing. I, it's so much fun meeting designers and creative people from a completely different culture, completely yeah. different environment and hearing their stories. They are doing so much cool stuff. It's crazy. And we, during our online programs, we also have these community chats. So we, put everyone in breakout rooms in Zoom uh, and we kind of facilitate certain discussions uh, with the people. So essentially you will be with four strangers from around the world who do the same thing as you. So if you're a product designer, there will be Uh other four product designers, but there will be one from California, one from Australia, one from Nigeria, one from Saudi. Like it will be like, yeah. And then you kind of realize that you all have the same problems, even though it seems like you live completely different lives, but your clients have the same kind of challenges. You as a company have the same challenges. And it's fascinating how the conversations that happen in those breakout rooms and how people connect and then find their own little circles they, they collaborate with. It's, it's amazing.
0: Oh, I bet it is. In closing, I guess I would like to ask you is, what is your favorite failure that later sets you up for success?
1: Favorite failure. Mm, that's a good one. There were so many failures and they only feel like failures in the moment. Afterwards, you forget that they were failures because you always see that they were actually a learning. So when you look back, you never see failures. You only see learnings. So that's always very difficult to go back and pick a failure. If if it was happening in the moment, I probably would be able to say like right now, I'm devastated (laughs) because this is happening. Looking back, I would suppose, which one shall I pick?
0: The first one that comes to mind.
1: I think my first company that failed. I tried to build a company and agency? I an agency design agency. I was young. I was 19. And that's when everyone dreams about having their own agency. But when yes. you are nineteen, you have no clue, what does it mean and what it takes. And I had a partner, a business partner. She was uh, much more business minded than me. And we actually had clients. We did some work. It, it, it was going somewhere and uh-huh. we were making money and kind of, it had something there, but um, we didn't have a proper plan. We didn't have a vision. We didn't have, I suppose we didn't have enough reason for doing it apart from our own egos of wanting to have an agency. I just liked the idea that I could say I have my own agency. Yeah. And that was the reason, and that's the wrong reason to start anything. You really need to want to do the the heartbeats, You need to like the process. And now I know I actually never wanted an agency. I just like to say that I, I had an agency, but I actually never wanted to run it. So I think that's why it didn't work out. And it was a definitely good learning. And I suppose the best learning out of it was the fact that we started Futureland Academy and that succeeded. Because if you start something and it fails and you stop there, you stop as a failure. And But if you pick yourself up and start something again, And again, and again, if needed, and eventually you succeed, then you suddenly a success. And I suppose that's the best learning that even if something didn't work out and after that, you feel like you're probably not good at it, or maybe you'll never be able to do something that's not true. It's just this particular thing didn't work out and you need to learn from it and start again and see how to make it better.
0: I love that advice. Thank you so much, Ekaterina, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. Uh,
0: Jenny, do you say Yes, well you got it right. How do people find you? How do people get in touch with you?
1: So follow us on social media. We are Future London Academy everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok. We are on TikTok as well. And we are F London Academy on Twitter. We do share a lot of insights, advice, inspiration. So definitely worth following us. On all of those. We also have a podcast called Creative Capes, where we talk to different leaders in the industry about their process, about their challenges. So follow us on uh, podcasts everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to it. We also have a YouTube channel where you can actually see all of those conversations. So you can see our faces and the the people that we interview. And futurelandernacademy.co.uk is our website. And if you're curious about this design leaders program inspired by Bauhaus and want to be a better leader, then check out bauhaus.futurelondonacademy.co.uk.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Amazing. Thanks a lot. And thanks everyone for listening. I hope you found something useful there. And if you want to message me personally, also find me. I'm sure my name is incredibly difficult to pronounce, but it's Ekaterina Solomina. And I'm sure you can Google it and send me a note. And I'm always very very happy to help. And I'm a very friendly person, so just reach out. But thanks for having me on your podcast, and it was a pleasure. And yeah, hopefully see you in the future.
0: Absolutely. If you made it this far, you are what I call a design MBA superfan. And I've got a gift for you, my superfan. Head over to designmba.show where you will find my email address. Email me one thing you learned from this podcast episode and I will get on a 30-minute call with you and help you in your career goals. See you in the next episode.